Well, good evening. What a joy to be with each of you all tonight. Uh, our sermon tonight will be coming from Daniel chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 27. You'll find that on page 747 of your pew Bible there in front of you. And when I was in high school, uh, the, the fair would come into town every year. And every year I would go and get sick. And every year I would go back and ride again and get sick again. Um, call it teenage stupidity. And, but every year there was this one ride called the Gravitron. Maybe some of you guys remember this ride. And it was basically a capsule that you got into, you and like 45 other people. And it just spun you around. <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> um, it just spun you around, which I don't know what to do. Um, it just spun you around. Um, Really fast, probably the worst part was there was a DJ like right in the middle of the room, so he was standing still, but you were flying around. Um, and when you got done, that lasted about four minutes. When you got done, you didn't know where you were, you didn't know who you were, all you knew is that you couldn't stand up straight. And I say that because if you've read Daniel, you often feel like that, right? You finish Daniel and you think, I have no idea what he's talking about. I got some parts. Um, well, I'm here to tell you tonight that I too feel that way, and you may not feel any different, but at least you'll know you're not alone at the end of all this. But our reading will start here in verse 24 in chapter 9 and go through the end of the chapter in verse 27. This is Gabriel speaking to Daniel. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both victory holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of, on, on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are people of corrupt minds, Lord, minds that cannot understand the things of you. Father, we pray now that you would send your spirit. Lord, give us understanding, guide our hearts. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word preached. Father, be with me, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. What's well, always amazing to me, the different types of beaches out there. Right, if you go to, maybe you guys went to 30A for spring break, right, the nice clear water down there in Rosemary Beach, or I remember driving through Hawaii once and seeing, driving by the beach and you could just see for miles this turquoise blue, right, all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And then there are other types of water, right, where you can't see two feet down, right, and you can't make heads or tails of what's below. And oftentimes that's the same aspect of scripture, right? There are passages of scripture where we know, hey, this is exactly what this is. We can tell you what this means. But other times, 
right? And such as tonight, we have a passage that is muddled, confused. Not the text itself being confused, but our interpretations are confused. In fact, it, it goes so far as one Old Testament critics calling this passage, our passage here before us tonight, the dismal swamp of Old Testament interpretation, right? The dismal swamp. Uh, others have called it the most complex, just to give you a, a, a taste, right? Uh, one commentary spends 11 pages on the first 23 verses of this chapter, and then it spends 44 pages on these, three, these four verses here. And you may not find a more debated passage in all of Scripture. You may not find as many books, articles, interpretations of this. And as many voices as there are, so are their interpretations. And in many ways, trying to discern this passage is, if you're a March Madness fan, trying to fill out a, a bracket, right? You may get a lot right, but you're always going to get something wrong. Right? And most brackets are really wrong, especially this year. Some are closer to others. But we're always going to get something wrong. And I think we have to accept that going into it, that because this is God's eternal, um, eternal word coming to us, it is hard for us to understand all of it. But I do think there are ways that we can get around that. And just as we start tonight, I want to give you guys sort of three ways that this passage has traditionally been interpreted. Right? Three sort of schools of thought of how this passage has been displayed. And really those three, most famously perhaps, is the dispensational view of this. Then there's what we might call the Antiochene, Antioch, E-N-E, if you're trying to spell it, Antiochene interpretation. And then lastly, what is sometimes called the Messianic interpretation. Messianic. So dispensational, Antiochene, and uh, Messianic. Now, just as a, a brief history lesson, right, so dispensational theology started about the turn of the uh, 19th, 20th century, and their view of this passage, this, this passage is really the linchpin for much of their theology. So they would say that um, the beginning of these 70 weeks would start at around 445 BC, and then the 69 weeks would take us all the way up to 2632 AD, right, either the baptism or the entrance of Jerusalem of Christ. And then there's a gap, right? So it's this literal 69, uh, 69 weeks of years, and there's a gap. And then the rapture begins the 70th week, right? And that is fulfilled with the coming of the Antichrist. And then after the seven years of uh, tribulation, Christ comes up and sets his literal thousand-year kingdom up. So that's one approach. Maybe you've seen that in Left Behind, uh, various other sources. And then the Antiochian approach, this is sort of the highly critical approach, right? So this is the view that says it starts with the assumption that, hey, Daniel is not inspired, probably wasn't even written until around 200 BC. So we can generally assume then that this is somebody in around 200, middle of the second century BC writing about the coming of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's important just in the intertestamental time as a Roman general who came in and did the unthinkable. He offered a pig on the altar in the temple. 
right? He came and uh, altered a, uh, offered a pig in the altar of the temple. And this began what is known as the Maccabean Revolution, right? So a whole host of men rising up in the Maccabean tribe, rising up against them. And again, I mentioned this just as a, a one of the views out there. It's not really the most... Um, most, the, the one that we want to, uh, uh, we want to offer to you, we, we should attract, be attracted to because, as, as I said, it's a highly critical view. But then lastly, the one we're going to take tonight is the messianic view, right? And the messianic view, just uh, in one sentence, is whether it's a literal 490 years or a symbolic 490 years, these 77s, these 70 weeks, foretell and center around the coming of Jesus Christ, Right? They, they foretell and center around the coming of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in place, right, those three interpretations, I want to give you guys a couple of principles to think about just as you're always interpreting prophecy. Right? Think about all, as you're always reading prophetic literature in the Old Testament. And the first is that Scripture always interprets Scripture. Right? So there are some very confusing parts of this book. Right? There are, even Peter will say right in 2 Peter 3 that, hey, there are some things that Paul says that are really hard to understand, and I get that. And all the same, too, that in the prophets, there are a lot of things that are hard to understand. But often, there are other places in Scripture that we can go to and find linchpins, keys to help us understand. And with this passage, especially, we find it in Revelation. We see other passages in Daniel. Right? Daniel has four other visions all of which I think are centered around the same, um, trying to foretell the same thing in a different mode. Um, but then also, whenever you're asking what is the Christian view of prophecy, right? What is the Christian way of interpreting this text? A good rule of thumb is, does this, does my interpretation, is the way I'm reading this text find its center point on the salvific mission of the triune God. So the way you're interpreting our passage is its center point found in the salvific mission of the triune God. In other words, the way you read that passage, does it build to the coming of Christ or not? And while it's not always the case, generally that's what we want to say as Christians, right? As people of Christ. So let's now dive into this passage and do our best to sort out the pieces, right? Just to give you some context, right at the first part of chapter 9, Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah. He's reading these letters that Jeremiah has sent to Babylon with his prophecies, and he's reading them somewhere around 540 BC, right? And he sees that Jeremiah prophesied in 605, 606 that God was going to give a 70-year exile to the people of Judah, Right, so the people of Deuteronomy sent to Babylon for 70 years. He's doing the math. He's thinking, hey, it's 539, 540. This was 60, 66, 67 years ago. It's coming up. Right? These 70 years are almost upon us. And what's fascinating, though, is that he doesn't presume on the Lord's faithfulness. He doesn't say, hey, those 70 years are coming up, so I'm out of here. Right? I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to look forward to that, that return but rather, he reads this prophecy. He reads about these 70 years, and he begins to pray desperately. 
Right? And you can go back and read all the way from chapter 9, verse 3, all the way till verse 19 is Daniel's prayer concerning this prophecy. And the main content of his prayer is that God would remember his promises. Right? It is that God would remember that he told the people that it would be 70 years. He says there, just to sum it all up in verse 19 of chapter 9, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your holy name. And I think, as a brief aside, this teaches us about prayer, right? This teaches us something about how we are to pray, of praying the promises back to God, not presuming that we hold them, right? Like some sort of dragon hoarding treasures, right? We pray God's promises back to him, hoping and praying that he will, knowing that he will be faithful to them. Just as an example, right? Proverbs 22, 6, one of the most famous parenting chapter, verses of all of the scriptures, right? Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he'll not, not depart from it. So parents, do you presume upon that promise? Do you presume that if you just do the right things, your child is going to be all right in the coming eight, in the coming years? Or do you pray that promise back to God, hoping, knowing that that is your only hope, right? That God would be faithful to your child. But that's all for, that's, an, that's another sermon. So Daniel prays and Gabriel is sent to bring him an answer, right? Daniel, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel is sent to bring Daniel an answer to his prayer. He says there in verse 22, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. And he starts off by saying, Daniel, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Right? The bad news is pretty bad, but the good news is really good. And the bad news first. He basically says, Daniel, those 70 years, there's more to come. Right? It didn't take just 70 years to do the work of God. There's going to be something else. There's, people may come back, but there's more time in exile to be had. And he says, so there's not going to be just one 70, right? but there's going to be seven 70s. You got seven more 70-year exiles to take part, of, take part in. And when we hear that, those collection of 70s, right, 70 years, 70, seven 70s, right, your mind should go to one place, the Sabbath. And I believe Daniel's mind would have gone to that place, the Sabbath, right? That Sabbath principle of one in seven being taken off, the Sabbath, seventh day, the seventh year, right? All the Sabbaths that made up Israel's calendar. So we know that there's something of a Sabbath principle at work within this ordination of 70s. And we can say that because the original 70 years, right? The original 70 predicted by Jeremiah was precisely a fulfillment, an offering of the Sabbath to the land, right? In 2 Chronicles 36, 21, it said that God cast his people from Judah so that the land would have its Sabbaths, right? Because the people of Israel, as soon as they got into the land, right, it's, they just forgot all that God had told them to do about Sabbaths. They didn't practice Sabbath. They didn't practice the seventh year. They didn't practice Jubilee. So God said, because of your failure, I'm going to cast you out and give the land a 70-year Sabbath. 
And in one way, we can see that the Lord is ordaining not just a one 70-year Sabbath, right? But a, as we said, a sevenfold 70-year Sabbath. It is a perfect, complete Sabbath for the land, for his people. And yet, there's something else at work, too. There's not just the Sabbath principle, but there's a principle that's built on the Sabbath principle, if I can get any more confusing than that. And that's the Jubilee principle, right? That's the Jubilee. So if you remember Leviticus 25.8, the people would count seven weeks of years, seven weeks, seven times, seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall be 49 years. And, if you, and you'll remember that jubilee, jubilee year was that year of liberty, right? It was where liberty was proclaimed throughout the land. Property was returned. Debts were forgiven. Slaves were freed. It is the year, says one writer, which signifies the return of all things to God. It signifies the return of all things to God and the restoration of all things by God. And here we see in Daniel 9 that it is 77s, right? 49, 77s, 490, 7 sevens, 49. So we see here 10 jubilees, 10 collections of jubilee years. We might even say the ultimate jubilee, right? The ultimate year of restoration or li of liberty is being foretold. And that's the really good news that Daniel's offering. Right? He says, hey, the bad news is that there's more to come. But the good news is that on the other side of this, there's going to be a jubilee to end all jubilees. Right? Never again will have to be a jubilee year after this jubilee. And we really see that in the sixfold reason that, Dan that Gabriel gives for these 77s. Right? You'll see there, starting in the middle of verse 24, it is to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and lastly, to anoint a most holy place. In this great jubilee year, sin will be done away with. Iniquity and guilt will be washed away. Righteousness will be the standard. Right? God's righteousness will be the standard of all things. God's promises will finally be complete. And lastly, a new holy of holies, a new meeting place of God will be set up. And in your, in your biblical imagination, right, as you think about what could possibly match that place that he's talking about, there should be only one place that comes to mind. Right? There should be only one place that checks all those boxes. And that is the new heavens and the new earth. So Gabriel is coming to Daniel and saying, hey, bad news, a lot more time, buddy, sorry. Good news, on the other side of this, God's going to recreate all things. God's bringing a redemption that no one has ever seen and that will never be needed again. You think that return from exile a couple years from now is going to be great? Right? Just wait until you see this return from exile. It's kind of like if you were, when you were a kid and your parents would tell you that you weren't getting any big presents for Christmas or your birthday, right? Kind of stung, but then they told you, but hey, we're going to Disney in three months, right? Those three months felt like the worst because you didn't get any presents, but then you got to Disney and it made it all better, right? It made it all worth it. 
And that's, before we dive into the nitty gritty, right, that I would say is the central point of this passage. Is that God is working and has been and has always been working in ultimate redemption for his people. He has always been in the business of saving sinners. From Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 21. And this here, he is giving Daniel a sneak peek in what that is going to look like. And then we'll, and now moving along, this ultimate jubilee, though, is going to come piece by piece, right? It's not going to come all at once. It's going to come slowly, surely over time. And we see that in verse 25, right? He breaks it up into two segments. He says, know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... To the coming of an anointed one, a prince there shall be for seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. Now, and so he says first, these seventy-sevens, these seventy weeks are going to begin right when the word to restore Jerusalem is going to go out. Right, right when, as soon as the word to restore Jerusalem goes out, these seventy weeks are going to begin. Now, a lot, of some, a lot of people will say, hey, that was when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem, right? In 4, 444 or so. However, I think there's good reason to think that this is nothing less than Cyrus's edict that would go out less than two years later in 538 to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, that may be more than you want to know. If you read up on it, there's some good reason to think that. I think the biggest reason of that is Isaiah 44. Where God foretells by name that Cyrus, 100 and, what, 180 years before, right, that Cyrus would be the one to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. So the word goes out in 538, and boom, the clock starts ticking. And, and you'll see there, too, that there in your ESV, it divides it up, right? It says that there's going to be seven weeks to a prince. And then there's going to be 62 weeks where the city will be built up again. Now, whenever someone says, I hate to do this, they generally love to do this. Um, and I actually generally frown upon people trying to take issue with the way things are translated. Um, but we have to remember that grammar punctuation is not inspired, right? Whenever we see a comma or a sentence, it's generally the translator trying to figure out what it's saying. And I don't think that the way the ESV has it translated is actually the way it's supposed to be. Not that I, in my vast knowledge, has come to this point, but I find the arguments of Hebrew scholars persuasive. And if you have any other translation um, other than ESV, you'll see that it combines those two time periods. Right? If you have a KJV, NASB, NLV, NLV, NIV, right? any other version generally will combine those two time periods. So it's seven weeks and 62 weeks, creating kind of a, a, a two-fold segment of 69 weeks. But it combines those two and says, then at the end from, from seven weeks and then 62 weeks, a prince will come, an anointed prince will come, and the city will be rebuilt. So point, uh, central to that argument then is that within those first 69 weeks, city's gonna be rebuilt, Christ is coming. Right, the anointed prince. The, this is one of the few times in all of prophecy where the word Messiah is actually used in Scripture. Right, the Messiah, the Messiah prince is coming. 
And so at the end of these 69 weeks, though, we see that this anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So at the end of these 69 weeks, then, it is this end of these 69 weeks is marked by the death of Christ. All right. So these 69, I can't do math in my head. What would that be? 420 years. I can do that. 420 years, these 69 sevens would be Christ, would be come from the going out of the word to restore the, the city all the way up to the death of Christ. Now, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, you're probably doing some math in your head, right? And you're thinking, all right, 538 all the way up to 32 BC or 32 AD, give or take, right? You might be thinking, you're probably thinking to yourself, hey, that is way more than 420 years. And you're right. It is way more. And yet we have to remember, and that's why I think it's important to remember that this is not, I would say, a literal 420-year period. This is not a literal uh, calendar year-by-year prediction, right? These 69 weeks, these 69 sevens are symbolic, holding theological value. And really we can say, and that 69, one away from seven, it is one week away from the perfect, complete 70. So all the way up to the death of Christ, right? Christ accomplished everything on his cross with one thing left to happen, his return. Right? The one thing left was his return. And I say that, the, the symbolic import of these numbers, because... The 70th week is where things get really wacky, right? The, the first 69 weeks, we can kind of trace it throughout history. All right, this is what it's talking about. But then the 70th week, things get a little bit more dicey. And we see there that the, the 70th week here is split into two halves, right? It says there in the middle of verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now very quickly here, there's a lot of things going on here. There's a lot that could be, there's a lot of different views on these these couple of verses here. And yet I think most clearly this first half week is referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. All right, so Jesus Christ is crucified, marks the end of the 69th week, and then the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD marks that midpoint of that 70th week. And I say that for a number of reasons, but it's you see there where it says desolations are decreed. Well, all throughout the New Testament, when Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, he calls it one thing, the abomination of desolation. Right? In Matthew 24, Mark 13, he says the abomination of desolation is going to come. And generally, we, I would understand it, most people understand that as talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So you've got 32 AD all the way up to 70, so... 38 years, making up three and a half years, half a week. But he kind of leaves Daniel hanging with a whole half week. He doesn't really talk about the 69.5 69 to the 70th week. And, and, and yet, 
We are given hints throughout the rest of Scripture what the rest of what that last half week will be like. And we see that really all throughout Revelation, right? And to the to, to final push on the blender to really get your brains going tonight. Revelation, right, 11 through 13, talks about this last half week in three different ways. Four, yeah, three different ways. It'll call it 42 months in 11.2 and 13.5. It'll call it 1,260 days in 11.3 and 12.6. And then a phrase that is used in Daniel 12.6 and in Daniel 7 as well, it will call it time, times, and half a time. Right, time, times, and half a time. And all, through, and all throughout Revelation 11 through 13, these time periods, these segments, are related to visions given concerning the time of the church. Right, visions concerning the age between Christ's ascension until his final return. The most clear example of this is Revelation 12, 6, where there's a woman who gives birth to a child, a son who is to be king over the nations, and this child is taken up to God, and yet the woman is put off in the wilderness as she's pursued by the dragon, put off into the wilderness in a place where God has prepared for her for 1,260 days. So I say that all to say in a nice little neat package and bow for you that those, I believe, those three and a half weeks then, those last three and a half weeks are the age that we're in now. It's that age awaiting the final return of Christ for him to come and bring full restoration to this land. Now, at the end of the day, there's much in this passage that will befuddle. There is much that will confuse and there is much that we simply will not be able to understand until we reach glory. Right? Many of y'all may not be any clearer what it means even after I talked about it. And that's okay. And yet there's one thing, as I said, that should stand out that rises above the rest, clear as day. And that is that this passage is about God's redemption. But it's about God's redemption and his unimaginable patience with his people. God's unimaginable patience with his people. And I say that taking from another passage, right? Matthew 18, 21 through 22. You'll remember Jesus' teaching on forgiveness and Peter, that most relatable of apostles, comes up and says, hey, Jesus, am I supposed to even forgive my brother if he sins against me seven times? Seven times? And that's, that, that takes a lot of patience to do seven times. Jesus, is that what you're, you're telling me? what does the Lord say? He says, I say not to you seven times. But if you're reading an older translation, but 70 times seven. Right? I'm, he doesn't say seven, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And what Jesus is hinting at is he's saying, God has been patient with you for all of history. For 70 sevens, God has been patient with you and forgiven you. So now we, too, are to walk in that unimaginable patience, unimaginable forgiveness with one another. So at the end of the day, when we come to these 70 weeks, we can say, I really don't know that much about it. But what, can I, what I can say is that there is a God who has been relentlessly pursuing his people 
offering untold redemption, offering unimaginable glory to his people. And that's our hope. That's where we rest. Not in figuring out exactly what year means what or what week is what. But trusting that God is bringing a jubilee that this world has never seen. Let's pray. Great and Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would come. Lord, that you would bring this jubilee and offer liberty at last to all those in bondage. Lord, that resurrection, when all are brought and made anew and stand before your throne. Father, we cry out for you to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.